So as we continue our sermon series on walking through the epistles, we are in the process of studying the epistles that was written to the church in Galatia. So we have been seeing in chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul taking a special specific step or an approach of throwing arguments against the law. And he was trying to arrive at some conclusion at the end of every argument. And he, in fact, you know, uh, wanted to see, is there any possibility that law could produce righteousness? And every time when he argued out, he came to a conclusion that, you know, law cannot produce righteousness, or even law is unable to or incapable of justifying someone. So last three weeks, we spend our time in understanding Paul's personal argument and scriptural argument and then we went on moving up talking about practical argument and in fact last week we talked about Paul's sentimental argument and today we are going to talk about allegorical argument so there are different things you know a couple of uh, different you know levels of argument that Paul is taking us or he is throwing those arguments to the church in Galatia can you read that with me the personal argument the scriptural argument, the practical argument that continued, the sentimental argument, and the allegorical argument. So today we are going to see the final method of arguing that law is not good to make anyone righteous. So Paul is trying to you know, understand the, 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 the how capable the faith that we have in Christ is more than enough to make anyone righteous or to justify us. So we are going to listen to the argument of Paul, what is known as, what we want to list that as allegorical argument. So I would like to title my sermon this morning, Cast Out the Bond Woman. Can you say that with me? Cast Out the Bond Woman. And I came to an understanding, a realization after I gave the title that today is the Women's Day. So please forgive me that Women's Day has nothing to do with casting out the bond woman. Okay, I'm, I'll make it very clear. An allegory, what is an allegory? Allegory is a figure of speech in which the character or image or an event act as a symbol. You know, that's what allegory means. So Paul is referring to the life of Abraham right away as we read. If you are careful, you would have noted that. Paul is referring to the life of Abraham and two women who were the mothers of two major religion of the world. I would say three major religion of the world. Abraham and two women who are the mothers of three different religion of the world. So these two women by name Hagar and Sarah, they represent two covenants. Can you say two covenants? The Tau Covenant that was given in Mount Sinai and also the New Covenant. You know, we always refer the New Covenant to, the Christ, to, to Christ making or Christ writing the covenant and signing the covenant with his blood. What Jesus performed at the cross in Mount Golgotha. So we, we, we want to relate these two women, Hagar and Sarah, to the two covenants. That is, one is the covenant which was given in Mount Sinai and to the New Covenant that happened that took place at Mount Golgotha. 
So let's talk about Hagar and Sarah for 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 few minutes. So we we would like to read again verses 21 to 26 in a moment. So Paul is making an allegorical argument using Hagar and Sarah to bring out his point. He used them as an illustration here. You know, remember Paul is talking to the Galatian church. He is not writing this to the Gentiles. He is not writing to the ungodly who, you know, who are, who are born and who are continue to live in their idol worship. No, he is not writing this to them. He is writing this to the church in Galatia who were once believers of Jesus Christ. And for some reason they went away from the faith. We know the story. We know the background. They went away from faith in Jesus Christ. And they started following the law which they renounced at some point of time in their lives. So they went back to the whole thing that they used to do. So Paul is writing uh, to that church in Galatia. So let's read verses 21 to 26. Let's read very closely. Right? When Dan read, you know, you all listened to it. You all saw the scriptures. But now we are going to pay closer attention. And that's how we need to study the word of God. We are going to pay closer attention to the, There is so much of truth hidden in th- verses 21 to 26. Shall we do that together? Tell me, you who desire to be under the law... Do you not hear the law? Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise. Verse 24. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all and this is how we are going to understand the the entire scripture portion that we read can you have the next slide so we see here if you are able to you know see that so i just put this you know so i I mean the entire scripture is in there in this table right now right so you see the entire scripture on the table so we have abraham at the top and we have ishmael and isaac you know abraham through hagar he brought forth a son by name Ishmael, can I hear, hear that from you? When I when I when I when I when I'm speaking, you know, when I leave a blank, that means I expect you to fill that. Is that okay? Let's let's work with that understanding. Everybody's okay with that? Yes. Right. So so now now Abraham, he went into Hagar. That's what Scripture says. And Hagar is a bond woman. She's not a free woman. That's what Word of God says. And he brought forth a son by name Ishmael. So that happened according to the flesh. Do you agree with me? Do you have any doubt? <clears throat> that was not according to the Spirit. Did the Holy Spirit tell Abraham, go to Hagar? Who said? And who was behind that? Okay, great. Satan. Right? The devil was behind that. The devil was behind for a reason. He wanted to, he wanted to destroy the seed. Listen to me. He wanted to destroy the seed. Right? Just keep that in mind. Now, he, he, this happened according to the flesh. In natural means, let's look at Sarah. Sarah was Abraham's wife, not a slave girl. He, uh, Sarah was Abraham's wife and Sarah brought forth the promised son in a supernatural way by name, Isaac. 
right? So you see the difference right there. Now, Hagar and Sarah, they are referred to two different covenants. Symbolically, Hagar and Sarah, they are referred to two different covenants. You see that there. Hagar is like Mount Sinai. What happened in Mount Sinai? What was given in Mount Sinai? The law was given. Not promise, the law, the covenant, the law was given. And Hagar represents Mount Sinai. That's what Paul says. And Abraham, you know, went to Sarah and his wife. And Sarah represents Mount Golgotha, the new covenant. Amen? The blood covenant. One was the covenant made with law. The other was covenant made with blood. And Abraham, along with Hagar, gave birth to bondage. Can you say bondage? Whenever you say bondage, that simply refers to law. Right? Law is the one that leads us to bondage. And Abraham went to Sarah, and he, she, they both gave birth to Isaac, and he is known as the children of freedom. Amen? Children of freedom. You know, today we experience the freedom in Christ that comes by having faith in Lord Jesus. Does it come by law? No, it doesn't come by law. It doesn't come by just reading the book reading the book and standing in the four corners of the street and preaching. No, it comes by having our faith in Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Bible also says the whole thing that we talked about is the picture of the earthly Jewish, Jewish city in Jerusalem. Abraham, Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai, the law was given. The law is nothing other than bondage. And that is related to the, the present city that we see in Jerusalem. That's what Paul says. And Paul says the people who are living in the city of Jerusalem, they are slaves to the law. Am I clear? And where does we look at Sarah that where we see that is related to something, you know, related to the, the, the covenant that took place at Mount Golgotha. And anyone can be freed by having faith in Lord Jesus Christ. And those who are having faith in Lord Jesus Christ, they belong to the citizen of the eternal Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem. Amen? Do you believe that? Amen? Can I hear another amen? So when we put our trust in Lord Jesus Christ, we become the citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. All that we need to do is, we need to have faith in Christ and walk in the freedom. Amen? And that's what it is. That's what the scripture says. That's what we read right now. So verse 6, 6, 26, let's read that again. But the Jerusalem above is free. The Jerusalem today we have on the face of this earth is under bondage. But the Jerusalem that is above, it, it is free. And it is also known as the mother of us all. Why the Jerusalem that is above is the mother of us all? It's free. When you, all that you need is you need to have trust in God. And we are reborn. We are reborn. So the mother is giving rebirth into the eternal Jerusalem. Are you with me? I, 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 know, I know it's not too much, right? So to understand. So the, as we believe in Christ Jesus, the rebirth takes place in our lives. And once we are reborn, we belong to the eternal Jerusalem. You know, we are all belong to the eternal Jerusalem. The mother of all. Amen? Let's move further. Let's, then Paul talks about the Babylonian captivity. 
He said so much about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac. And then, you know, he referred to the covenant, two different covenants. And now he is moving on, moving further. You know, I don't have any other option other than just going along with Paul, wherever he takes us, right, in the scripture. Verse 27, let's read verse 27. Can someone read verse 27? Loudly. Amen. Thank you. So Paul here, suddenly, all of a sudden, you know, that's how his writing is. We can't really help here. He just stopped everything what he was saying and he just suddenly quoted a scripture from Isaiah chapter 54 verse 1. We are going to read that now. It's exactly the same scripture. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah, the prophetical book of Isaiah. Paul is saying in Isaiah 54 1, Sing, O barren, you, have, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman says the Lord that's a scripture that's a prophetical word of God and you know what you just you know read this uh, just plain English it doesn't really convey much we don't really understand so that's what we are trying to understand this morning so God you know I'll just give you the context you remember children of Israel were taken into Babylon as captives do you remember that story and by whom Nebuchadnezzar Right? So Nebuchadnezzar took everybody, children of Israel, into Babylon. And how long that captivity stayed? Any student of the word of God here? How long that captivity was? 70 years. Thank you. So 70 years, children of Israel stayed in Babylon as captives. At the end of the whole thing, this prophecy breaks forth through Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And he prophesies, saying that, sing, O barren. He's talking to Jerusalem. He's talking to the children of God. And he's saying that you have not born. What happened last 70 years? Nothing, not, nothing fruitful. You have not born. Break forth into singing. Now it is time. Break forth into singing. And cry aloud. You who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. Says the Lord. Now I believe God is saying that. My people, you are not really married to the world, not married to anyone. I'm your husband, you are married to me. And I'm going to multiply you. Now that's the meaning of this prophecy. I'm going to bless you. You know, Jerusalem had been in a condition of a barren woman. That's what the scripture says, 70 years. The temple was brought down. All the houses were destroyed. Even the city was set on fire. And there is nothing happening. The complete desolation. And scripture word of God. God is referring the city of Jerusalem to the desolate solitary widow. I mean there nothing can come forth out of somebody like that. That not only the ruins of Jerusalem should be repaired, because now that 70 years is over, and you know, they are all coming back to Jerusalem, not just only the city is going to be repaired, but even the suburbs and the extended cities, you know, all the, both the sides of the streets of the cities, there are more buildings are going to rise in the streets of Jerusalem. Amen? That was the prophecy. And in the temple of God is going to be rebuilt. 
So the wealth which was taken by the Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to be returned to the right owners of that wealth. You know, every good thing is going to happen. That's what God is prophesying. And God is saying, God will again be the husband to them. And the reproach of their captivity is going to be forgotten. That simply means God is going to bless them. And that is the scripture. Now all of a sudden, Paul from nowhere, he's coming and he's referring to the scripture. And he is saying, you know what he is trying to say there? He is saying that that was a promise that was given to the heavenly, sorry, earthly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem city was rebuilt. The temple of God was rebuilt. Again it was. Again it was. Fill in the blanks. Again it was. Again it was. Destroyed. It was built and destroyed. Built and destroyed. The city was again ruined. And but Paul is saying there is a heavenly Jerusalem. Amen. That's not made with hands of man. And that city will never see destruction. And that city will never see such bondage that happened to Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem is going to remain forever and ever. Amen. That is the message. Now John says that same thing in Revelation chapter 21 uh, in verse 3. I just read that for you. And John says God himself will be there with them and be their God. Amen. Go who, who will be there with us in heaven? God, our Lord God will be there with, uh, with us ruling as a God of the heaven, God of eternity. And this is what Paul is saying. If I just want to you know, put it with my own words. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the law center, which is also the religious power center. We are talking about Jerusalem. Amen. The law center and the power center, religious power center is going to be destroyed. But there is an eternal living that is built for those who have faith in Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, that is what is important. You know, those days people were thinking, you know, giving so much of respect to the temple of God and to Jerusalem and the book of the law. And if the book of the law is open, you know, everybody will stand and pay respect and listen to the word of God. Now, Paul is, you know, Paul, Paul is coming here and he's saying that it's all good that you did that. But now the city is kept for ruin. Even today, the city is kept for ruin, we know for sure. But there is an eternal Jerusalem that is not built with hands and that is kept for those who have faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is asking, do you think that better too? Is, is, it, is it good to follow the law? Or it is good to put our faith in Lord Jesus Christ. And he is ready to take us into the eternal home, which can never be destroyed. Amen? Let's move further. We are going to read verses 28 to 31. And you need to just pay attention to me. Verse 28. Now we brethren, as Isaac was. Can you read that with me? Now we brethren, as Isaac was. Are children of promise verse 29 but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit even so it is now verse 30 nevertheless what does the scripture say cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall be her with the son of the free woman so then brethren we are not children of the bondwoman, but we are the children of the free woman. Verse 29, can we read again? He who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Even so, it is now. What did we read there? Can you say something about the scripture? We read, someone who is born of the flesh, persecuted someone 
Are you with me? Are you listening? Can you say that with me? Someone who is born of the flesh is persecuting someone who is born of the spirit. Now we need to ask a couple of questions. Who was born of the flesh? Who was born according to the flesh? Ishmael. Good. Ishmael was born of the flesh. Now he is going to persecute whom? That's what scripture says. Who is born of the spirit? Isaac. So Ishmael, the one who was born of the flesh, is going to persecute the one who was born of the spirit. Are you okay? Now listen to me. Muslims believe, this is what they believe, that Muhammad was the descendant of Ishmael. Who would establish a great nation as promised by God of the Old Testament. That's what they believe. They also believe that Ishmael was a promised child of Abraham. They don't agree that Isaac is a promised child of Abraham. They believe, they agree that Ishmael is a promised child of Abraham. Just keep that in mind. Now who was according to the spirit? We know that Isaac was according to the spirit. So the one who was born out of the law, that is Ishmael, and he is going to persecute the one who is born according to the spirit that is Isaac. Are we okay there? Yes or no? We'll move further. Now when did this happen? <clears throat> when Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Now, I was very curious when I read this. I never you know, had an instant when he persecuted Isaac. And when they started digging into the word of God, I arrived at Genesis chapter 21 verse 8. And Genesis chapter 21 verse, this is what it says, scripture says. So the child grew, can you read that with me? So the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Right? Isaac has become a big boy now and he is capable of eating, taking solid food. And now on the day, Abraham made a feast. And verse 9, what happened there? And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. That means Ishmael standing there and laughing at what? Whom? On whom? Laughing at Isaac. And he was just mocking at Isaac. You know, this is the only mention in the word of God that, you know, Ishmael did something to Isaac, that's what I could find. So Ishmael mocking at Isaac, listen to me, that thing was a serious thing. Because Isaac was God-ordained seed. And Ishmael was a counterfeit, you remember? Ishmael was a counterfeit. You know, it's a counterfeit always hates the, the original, the ordained ones. Are you with me? Counter, counterfeit is something fake. He's not the promised son, he's just a fake son. That you know, Abraham got by his own effort listening to the advice of Sarah. And Ishmael was mocking at Isaac. He was just laughing at Isaac. I don't know for what. And even Ishmael's mocking was even considered by God as persecution. Even Ishmael, Ishmael's mocking at Isaac was considered as persecution. And even this persecution continues even today. You know what I'm saying? This persecution continues even today. You know, these are the words of Sarah. Sarah was not quiet. She was a woman of God, even though she went just she failed to listen to God and went on flesh for a moment. But now she's a good woman. 
listening to God right now. And this is what Sarah says in Genesis 21.10. Therefore, Sarah said to Abraham, listen to me, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be here with my son, namely with Isaac. What, what Sarah is saying? You know, at times, you know, I really thought then why Sarah was so demanding, you know, and you know, why can't Sarah keep poor Hagar and Ishmael at home? Can't she manage that? Can't she handle that? Now, I, I thought of that many times, but you know, I came to an understanding this morning that I'm going to share with you. Ishmael was circumcised at the age of 14. 14, remember that. How old is he? Was he? At the age of 14. And Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day of his birth. Right? Now, he just obeyed the law. And he even circumcised Isaac before even he came to know what is sin. What are the things of the world? Even before that, when he was a little boy, you know, he was circumcised. But all through that time in Sarah's mind, she was thinking, Ishmael, probably he could be a threat to Isaac. Isaac is the promised son. And Hagar is the bonded son. Son who was born in bondage. You know, I see a similarity, I don't know about you, I see a similarity here a little bit about when you compare with Jacob and Esau. I don't know whether you see that here. You know, you remember who is Jacob and Esau? Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing that he received, Jacob received from the father. Father blessed Jacob. And Bible says, you know, he was running for his life. And Esau started hating Jacob. And here I see... Ishmael developing a hatred towards Isaac because Isaac was a promised child. Hatred of Islam against Christianity was there even at the beginning. Amen? Even at the beginning stages of the birth of both religion. That's why Sarah wanted Abraham to send, Isaac, uh, to send Ishmael out without any mercy. Without any mercy. I was thinking if Sarah would not have sent Ishmael out, Christianity would have died there, right there. Such a great woman of God. We talk about women today. We praise the, God, the great things that women are doing. Sarah was such a great woman of God. And she knew very well, if I don't send Ishmael out, he is already a threat to my son Isaac, the promised son. And she knew very well the seed has to come forth. Amen. The seed has to come forth. Satan would have to destroy the seed otherwise. So Sarah's role was a major role in the mega plan of God's redemption. Amen. In the God redemptive plan, Sarah played a very great role there. And you know what? This persecution continued. Remember Abraham was the father of three major religions, as I said. And that's quite unfortunate. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Abraham was the father of those three major religions of the world. And these three religious groups developed such a great hatred. They know that is really witnessed by millions of bloodshed that happened across the world. Just want to talk a little bit about just one of the incidents and then move further. Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is just hostility or animosity towards Jews. People hate Jews. There are millions out there in the world even today. They hate Jews. There's no reason just because they are Jews. Just because they are Jewish, they are hated. That is what is known as anti-Semitism. 
You know, one of the major anti-Semitic events that took place, ever took place in the world, is known as Holocaust. So I want to talk a little bit about it. It's very sad to you know, see some of the pictures and what really happened. It's not very far. It took place in 1930s, around 1930s. It was Hitler's attempt to accomplish what he calls that as a final solution, the final solution. And this is what Adolf Hitler said. This is what exactly he said. He said, once I really am in power, my first and foremost task will be the annihilation of the Jews. Until all Germany has completely been cleansed of Jews. That's my aim. That's what I will do. That's what he did. And he did that. He did that. History says 9 to 11 million Jews. A couple of others, of course. They were reported dead during the Holocaust that took place in Nazi Germany in those concentration camps. 9 million to 11 million people were killed. It's all started when Sarah made a mistake and encouraged Abraham to make the sin. It all started from there and it continues even today. Since then we hear hundreds of genocides that took place across the globe. You know, that, that simply means deliberately exterminating and extermination of the religious or racial you know, groups or ethnic groups that have taken place, such a genocides have taken place across the world. There are so many millions and millions of people shed their blood and they died. We see the followers of the law, the Jews community becoming thinner and thinner and getting extinguished on the face of this earth. But the followers of Jesus Christ, including Christ-following Jews, is flourishing. And no doubt that they are going to make the eternal Jerusalem as their home. Amen? Are you with me this morning? Now Paul is taking us to the history and he's pointing out what really took place in the history. And then and after talking about all these things, Paul is trying to conclude because he has to conclude and move on to the next chapter. Next chapter, he's going to talk about the, some of the practical aspects. And as a general inference from all the things that he talked about, he said, as he concluding, well, concluding in Galatians chapter 31, so then brethren, we are not children of the bond woman, but we are of the free woman. Finally, let's make a couple of conclusions and just move a little into Go, go a little into chapter 5. We are going to make a couple of conclusions here. Number one, if you can just closely read that with me. Paul is saying, the law center, which is the religious power center, earthly Jerusalem, is going to be destroyed, but there is an eternal living, heavenly Jerusalem that is built for those who have faith in Jesus Christ will never be destroyed. Then Paul is also saying, you don't need to die for your faith on a law-based religion because Christ died for you. You know, I was thinking, what happened to those 9 to 11 million people who died? Will they make it to heaven? It happened just 1930, 33. Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way. No one can come to the Father except through me. Do you think the law is capable of taking us to heaven? No. I doubt where they went, those 9 to 11 million people who gave their life for the law, for the law. And again, Paul is saying, as we read further, martyrdom for the law-based system doesn't take us to heaven, 
but martyrs of faith on Christ will be found in heaven. Can you read that with me? Martyrdom for the law-based system doesn't take one to heaven, but martyrs... Right, so I think we skipped one. Let's go back to read that. That's important. Paul is also saying that you don't need to die for your faith on a law-based religion because who died for us? Christ already died for us. The death of the, death, death of the, of the cross really separates us you know, from the Old Testament believers and the New Testament believers. If somebody is holding to the law, even after Christ is dying for them, I doubt whether they can make it to heaven. That's what Paul says. Let's move further. The third one. So it says seven. Second one. Let's read that again. Martyrdom for the law-based system doesn't take one to heaven, but martyrs of faith on Christ will be found. So it simply says, Paul says that, Paul is saying that it's not worth to die for the law. Just die for Christ if you want to die so that he can make it to the eternal heaven. Let's read the next one. Once we receive Christ, we are no more children of the bondwoman, but we are the children of the living God. The followers of the law, Jews, becoming thinner and thinner and getting extinguished on the face of the earth. But the follower of Christ, including Christ following Jews, is flourishing. Amen. You know, Paul is coming and bringing it very clear that you and I need to follow, the, not the law, but the word of God, the faith that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's talk a little bit about chapter 5 and then, you know, we'll close. Let's title this section as Christian Liberty. Now we are done with chapter 4, we are moving to chapter 5. You know, basically, what is the message before we close? What is the message to the church? You know, that's what we read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Let's read that again. Stand fast, therefore, in liberty, by which Christ has made us free. You know, what Paul is, you know, changing is, the, is, is his language a bit. So that's, now we can understand a little bit. It's, he's making it easy for us now, right? Because he stopped talking about, you know, why he was, he was trying to, all along he was trying to justify why law could not make someone righteous and why law is incapable of, you know, justifying any, someone. And now he's talking about, you know, the, the practical aspects. How do we implement all that we learned? That's what he's saying. Let's read again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again, he's referring to the law verse 2 indeed i paul say to you that if you become circumcised christ will profit you nothing circumcision is part of the law if you try to meet those requirements of the law christ will profit you nothing that is very clear you cannot follow both you cannot follow both verse 3 and i testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law because one law you try to follow, the law demands so much that you end up in following all the law. Otherwise, you cannot fulfill the requirement of God and you will, we will perish. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ, moved away from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from the grace. Verse 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. That's what is important. 
You know, Paul is very particular. I think this topic is, you know, much more, it's having much more weightage than what we think about the law and following the law. You know, sometimes we end up in, you know, doing all those rituals of the Old Testament law. But Paul is making that very clear. You can never please God by doing any of those rituals, any of those celebrating, any of those festivals. Last week we talked about it. Followers of the law, not only found in Judaism, it is found even in today's church. I want you to listen. There are a couple of things, you know, we just, uh, points, we just make some pointers here and then we'll move further. Number one, Paul is saying that asking the church to stay in freedom, Christ has given us. And he's saying, do not go back to the bondage. Do not go back to the bondage. Freedom, is, freedom comes in our lives by having faith in Lord Jesus Christ. Bondage comes in our lives the moment we, we become legalistic. You know what is legalistic? Try to have a set of rules and follow the rules to satisfy God. And thus doing it, we think that we can go to heaven. I don't know, it may include some of the books that we read at the church, you know, stand there and read the books, the prayer books, and just read it as a ritual. The moment you try to do it as a ritual, you know, we really fall from the grace. That's what Bible says, that's what Paul says. We cannot satisfy both the legalistic requirements, the law and Christ. If we really put effort to obey the law, number two, point number two, if we really put effort to obey the law, Following Christ is not beneficial. That's what Paul says. We cannot satisfy both the legalistic requirement and Christ. Now if you do that, Christ is of no use. Now, I don't know whether something comes in your mind as we read this. But there's so much in my mind I can share a couple of them. Let's move further. If we try to satisfy some of the laws... We are compelled to satisfy more law. That's how law is. It's not that, you know, we follow one law out of the 600 and odd law. Or I cannot say that I follow only one commandment. Or I will follow eight commandments and leave the two. No, it, it's not possible. Are you with me? So if law demands, law is so demanding that it wants us to do everything. Follow all the 630 law, then you can go to heaven. Heaven. And we can never do that. We can never follow that. That's why we call it as bondage. Number four, those who try to satisfy the law, Paul says here, they will go away from Christ and they fall from the grace as they have no motivation to maintain a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. You know, in churches, when we go to church and then, you know, you pray and you all do all the rituals and you do this and do that, read this and then do all the prayer and all those things. If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, Paul is saying that everything is a waste. So are we here trying to judge somebody is better than someone? No. We are trying to understand in my life, what are the rituals that I am into till now? Even being a Pentecostal church, what are the rituals that we are into? That's what God wants us to know. Number five, let following Christ be your objective and pleasing God be the inner attitude. This can be nothing greater than that. It really doesn't matter, that's what Paul says, it really doesn't matter whether you are circumcised or not, whether you follow a particular practice or not, it really does not matter. 
So what is important here is, you know, this is what I understand by reading all these things, especially a couple of scriptures from chapter 5. What is important is our motivation and our objective. Amen? I want you to listen carefully. The objective of following something, the motivation, the reason why we do certain things and why we follow certain things. In following or in not following the religious practices, I'm not talking about what Bible says. I'm not talking about salvation is important. Baptism is important. Anointing of the Holy Spirit is important. You cannot just, you know, keep on sinning in your life. That is important. All the teachings of you are important. But following or not following any of the religious, there are so much of religious practices in the churches today among the children of God. Following or not following any religious practices in, in doing that, the most important aspect is this. Why do we follow certain practices? Why we don't follow certain practices? Without knowing that if you are doing anything, that becomes a ritual. That's nothing different than following the law. If we do something with an attitude of pleasing God, if we do something with an attitude of honoring God, it really means something. By observing or not observing, it's basically, it's of no use. It's not going to result in anything. It doesn't really matter whether you observe or not observe. Last week we talked about, can we celebrate Christmas? Can we have that festival? What is important is, through all these things, are you able to honor God? If you don't honor God, doing and not doing really doesn't matter. So Paul is rightly saying that your objective is important. You know that law cannot survive, save you. You know that by following the ritual, you know what? By following the ritual, it gives us a satisfaction as if we have achieved something. Because, you know, as a children of God, as a student of the word of God, you know, we may be good in, okay, taking this, I am done, I have done, I have done. You know, a couple of us do that in the morning when you get up and you know, we need to just pray and then we need to make sure that we need to read the Bible and we need to memorize the Bible and we need to find out what God is trying to speak because somebody is going to ask you that. That's exactly the same as following the law. When I ask some of us, you know, we, when we talk, talk about certain things, the practices that we have in the churches, why we do that? They have no idea. And my parents, they used to do that. And I was asked to do. It's exactly the law. It's exactly the law. So Paul is saying that this morning, it is very important in our lives with what objective, with what motivation we do things. Now, we are not here basically to point out saying that yeah, they are not doing this, they are doing it. No, that's not our objective. Our objective is in whatever we do, whatever we agree to do, it is important. Are we able to praise God? You know, churches may have certain listed number of rules. You know, you need to follow this church rule. You need to follow this rule. There is nothing in wrong in following. They are not the last. They are nothing wrong in following those rules. They are required. But if you follow those laws and regulations and the rules... Because you know, somebody is asking or just to satisfy, then it, it's, it, there is no use. You know, that's the way we need to think about everything that we do. Everything that we do. Why we do those things. You know, there's a threat for the church. The younger generation is a threat. They question you. Why do you do that? They don't just accept everything that you speak. They don't just accept everything that you do. I have been asked many questions. Why you do that way? Why you do that way? It becomes ritual. It becomes a law following and obeying those laws without knowing what we do. And God is asking us this morning, this is what we need to do. We need to know what is important. 
And through all those things, are we able to please God? You know, that was an effort of Paul as he was teaching the church in Galatia. They just simply dropped following God and went behind those false teachers. And Paul is saying, why are you doing that? What are you doing there? Don't you know that you need to honor God? Don't you know that only faith in Christ Jesus can take you heaven? And this is the teaching Paul is giving to the church in Galatia. His objective is to get them back. I believe they would have turned back to God. They could not have kept quiet. After listening so much from Paul, you know, I believe that's the reason Paul stopped. Otherwise, you know, I don't know how many chapters he would have written. He just stopped there and he went on to fifth chapter, talk about some of those practical aspects, you know, as we live. Amen? So this morning, we are coming to a close. Shall we all stand for a moment?